groovy. Had a little Santana vibe going on, kind of, right? Good job, guys. Hey, good morning. My name is Tara. Glad you're here today. Um, before we get started, just want to draw your attention to a few things that are going on here um, around the church. First, um, next weekend, the 12th, we have something called Second Sunday. And we're going to have service just like normal. But then afterwards, we want to ask you to stick around for a while. We're just going to hang out and have some snacks and chat and fellowship. And community is a big piece of what we do around here. And let's be honest, for the past few years, we haven't had a lot of opportunity to do that. So this is a great chance to stick around next week. There's also going to be an ice cream truck that's going to be everything's free. So there's no reason to go anywhere. Just stay, hang out, fellowship, and enjoy what we have to offer for that day. Also, again, we've been talking about it a lot, that Vacation Bible School starts on the 13th. It goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How you doing, Sarah Gray? You functioning still? Because she is like, <laughs> her and Kristen are the backbone of this event, and they are working their fingers to the bone, and um, there's already a lot of kids coming. And again, just remember to invite. That is potentially where a child may have their very first exposure to who Jesus Christ is, and we don't take that lightly. So invite, 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 spread the word. Um, also, just a reminder, there's a lot of things going on at this church. Take a look in the back. There's big blue signs that kind of identify different ministry areas and ways you can get involved and serve. And then also we want to remind you that a way to communicate with us is to send an email anytime. And the email is pastors at southwoods.org. And if you have any questions, if you have a prayer request, anything you need, we encourage you to communicate that way and let us know how we can help you, how we can pray for you. Before we get started in our service, um, again, we're glad you're here. And I'm just, you know, I don't know how your week has been, obviously. Maybe you've had a fantastic, amazing week. Um, maybe not. Maybe your week has been just quite frankly horrible. Well, I'm glad you're here. Because what I can tell you is that God is amazing and God is awesome. And that's why we're here to worship this morning and to learn. Uh, Pastor Greg will be continuing the message of guarding your faith. Um, really good information. So this morning, regardless of what you came in here with, it is my prayer, and I'd like to pray us into worship, that you have an opportunity to set all of that aside, um, set yourself aside, and just be ready to listen to what God has to tell you today, and just let yourself rest in His incredible power and His incredible grace. So let's pray together, and then the worship team will take it from there, okay? Father God, thank you so much for... Um, sometimes we need a nudge and sometimes we need you to flat out knock us down and remind us that you are in charge, you are in control, and that if we give our lives over to you, there, you are the only way. There is no one other who can take our messed up sinful lives and our human desires and turn them to good. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our small corner of the world where we can stand unapologetically on biblical truth and biblical foundation and praise you and learn about you in truth. We thank you for every person who is here today who is in the blue chairs, who is watching online, and may we all have an opportunity to experience your love for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name, his almighty name that we pray. And everybody shouted and gave a great big. That's right, here we go. Let's stand together.
shout and a praise. He is worthy, worthy of our praise. So glad to see you this morning. And you hear your sound awesome. I could use it a little louder though, so get on it. Just saying. All right, this is an opportunity for you to turn around and say hello to somebody. to say that God blesses Southwoods amazing, abundant, abundantly in so many ways. And part of that is because of the way our family of believers gives here. So there's three ways, just as a reminder, that you can give. You can, you can phone it in. You can email it in. Not email it in. You can uh, mail it in. There we go. You can come and see Miss Jackie. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. So just whatever the Lord puts on your heart, because God does some amazing things with the way we give. So we're grateful. We're grateful. And we're going to continue to worship.
Let's pray together. Father God, we're so grateful this morning. I start my prayers out that way every time because I want you to know that from our hearts, Lord, we are grateful for everything that you do for us. And we don't say it often enough. I know I don't. So I want to say it every chance I have. Thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. Thank you for your word that's going to come here soon and the power that will be behind that. Thank you for every heart, every mind, every soul that's receiving this morning, whether they're here or at home. Lord, we want to be part of what you're doing here. We praise you. We thank you. We bless you. And we ask that you bless this time together as we continue. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat.
our time of communion that before that I'm going to be honest with you about something today um, if you were here this morning singing this song or at home singing this song and you found it difficult to say it is well with my soul I understand because sometimes the weight of the world and the difficulties of life and the stuff we have to deal with every single day starts to weigh on our souls and I felt like for a while that mine was completely dried up like the dead sea it was of no use to me or anybody else and I started to pray about that and there's somebody in the Bible that understands that too and his name is David and his Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Our souls take a lot of pounding sometimes. So this morning, as you take the emblems that represent what Jesus did on the cross for us, the bread, his body, the juice, his blood. If your soul is thirsty this morning, ask him to quench your thirst. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to breathe into you the things that you need this morning. I had to start just um, overwhelming myself with scripture and the word and worship because my soul was so far down, at least it felt like it to me, that I had to almost drown myself to get it back where it needed to be. If that's you this morning, let God do that for you. Let him do that for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you will quench our thirst by Jesus. Thank you that his shed blood, his broken body, made a way for us to be with you. Made a way for us, Lord, for our sins to be forgiven, for our thirsty souls to be filled and quenched. And Lord, I know there's some folks here today that need that. And so I just pray that you would provide like only you can do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
just keep praying, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have loved us, that you loved us to such an extent that you gave your life, Lord Jesus. You laid it down for us because of your great love for all of mankind, for all of us. Your great longing is that we will humble ourselves and seek you in this morning, in this place. We do that. We just pause and say thank you. We don't deserve your kindness or your mercy, but we are grateful now. We'll be grateful for all eternity that you have loved us more than you loved your own life. Now, Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that you'd fill us. Fill us with your thoughts, your spirit. Give us the kind of wisdom that we need to live life and honor you appropriately for all that you've done for us. And give us, Father, the courage to walk in your ways, the faith to walk in your ways. Thank you for every person within the sound of my voice. May your blessing, your spirit, rest upon them. And may it be well with their soul, our souls. Because you will it to be so, and you made it possible on the cross. We thank you. Thank you for that. Be with us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody agreed with me and sit. Amen. Amen. Good to see you guys this morning. Happy Sunday. Glad you made it. Whether you're online with us or if you're on site, we're thrilled uh, thrilled that you're here. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Greg Montague. I'm the, the minister here at the church. And uh, I'm going to begin kind of our message time together by just asking a a really deep theological question. How many of you like to fish? How many of you went fishing last weekend? I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend. Some of you, nobody went fishing on Memorial Day weekend, right? It's because it's like, because everybody else is fishing on Memorial Day, so I'm not going to go on Memorial Day weekend. So, I, I know some of you uh, pretty well, and uh, let's just be honest. We have some fish whisperers among us. Some of you are saying, what on earth are you talking about? Remember horse whisperers? You remember that? Fish whisperers. I mean, I, one, of, one of our friends here at the church I went fish with a couple years ago in the time frame that he and I were fishing, he caught like 22 fish. I caught like six. And it was like a record day for me. But I'm it was like this individual, he would throw it out there, and it's just like the fish knew it was his line and just swam up there and would bite. And I was, it was remarkable. He clearly, as a fish whisperer, knows what he's doing. Well, here's the point. Fishing has changed significantly, certainly from when I was a kid and truthfully when most of us were kids. When I was young, here's a picture of what we used to fish with. If you're unaware, that's called a minnow. That's called a minnow. I thought about putting a picture of a worm up there. But, you know, back in the day, you fished with live bait, right? Minnows, worms. If you were really an avid fisherman or didn't have minnows and worms, maybe crawdads or some of that kind of stuff, you, these were the things that you fished with, shall we say, in ancient times. But nowadays, rare are the people who fish with live bait, right? Most people fish with what? Artificial lures. This is what everybody fishes with. Almost everybody fishes with in our day. Crankbaits, spinnerbaits, jigs, spoons, flies, soft plastics, the language goes on. All metaphors, all things made to look like a minnow, sort of, right? 
made to look like a worm. But guess what? I want to tell you a little something. It's fake. It's a fraud. It's a counterfeit. And culturally, think about this with me. It makes perfect sense. What are you talking about your thinking to yourself? We shouldn't be fishing with artificial bait. Why? Is everything else in our culture is artificial? Fake stuff's everywhere. We've talked about that through this whole series, right? As I point out a few weeks ago, we live in a generation of artificial Christmas trees, turf, sweeteners, jewelry, artificial intelligence. I could go on, but you get the point. According to the Bible, there are even artificial spiritual leaders that can be found in churches all over the place. Fake teachers, preachers, evangelists, prophets, spiritual leaders of all stripes. But fake, frauds, counterfeits, look like it's real, but it's not. It's not. We're studying our way through the New Testament book of 2 Peter at the moment. We're talking today about how to guard your faith. Today's part two. Remember last week was part one. Uh, how many of you were with us last week and heard part one? So, so several of you were. A number of you missed that. I hope that if you missed part one, you'll listen to it on our website, listen to it on the Facebook page. It's really important. You just like get all three of these messages, not because I'm doing them, but because this is like important scripture right now. It has more contemporary relevance than most of us grasp at the moment. And so it's just important that we be listening to this. So go back and listen to part one if you missed it. But today what we find in today's text, 2 Peter 2, is a continuation of it. It's a warning about fake and artificial spiritual leaders is what we're going to be talking about today. Each of us needs to listen carefully as we look at these verses, uh, have lots of contemporary relevance. Turn in your Bibles if you have it with you to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, I would encourage you to take some notes this morning and next week as well. Don't miss next week. Um, but today what I want to do is I wanted, want us to kind of immerse ourselves in chapter 2. And so I'm going to ask you to indulge me on something this morning that I don't do real often. I've done it before, but I don't do it real often. But this morning, I want us to be familiar generally with the content of the entire chapter of chapter 2. How many of you have read 2 Peter so far in the course of our series? Just read it front to back. How many of you? Come on, come on. Raise your hand a little higher. Okay, good. Some of you have, several of you have. That's good. Uh, would encourage the rest of you to do the same thing. But what I want to do this morning is I want you to be familiar with all 22 verses. You say, why? Because it's a continuous thought. It's all related. We got to have this whole thing in our mind. And next week, when I take a subset of these verses and dive more deeply into them because of their you know, relevance to us, um, it'll make it easier for you to kind of hang with me on it all, okay? So you with me? Will you indulge me? Second Peter chapter 2. And I'll just remind you, I've read more verses than this in a message before, and you've been okay. So I'm just, just saying, okay? Second Peter chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 1. 
If it's easier for you to hang with me just listening, do that. But just, just hang with me. Here's what the text says. There were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they'll bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they'll be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They're a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They've wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom. 
But they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you're a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. The end. Pretty graphic passage, isn't it? I mean, it's very vivid. It's like a rant. It's like just got on a roll and just kept going. It's kind of what God did when he prompted Peter to write all this. But it tells us a lot about guarding our faith. And according to these verses, the primary strategy for you and me to guard our faith, to guard one's faith, the faith of somebody we care about, is this. We need to watch out for false teachers and leaders. We need to watch out, avoid false teachers and leaders, and every one of us needs to do that. I hope for the next few minutes these verses will help us do a little analysis, a little fact-checking of the faith of some of the spiritual leaders in our lives, in our world, some of the people that we know. But let's begin right here. Let's do a little gut check, each of us ourselves too. Because it begins here, right? Am I right? It begins right here. But just because I'm not perfect doesn't mean that I shouldn't like be surveying the landscape to assess people who are leaders in my life and kind of what I'm hearing from them, right? It's like I got to clean up me and I got to pay attention to what's going on out here around me. So for the next few moments, we're going to just look at this passage because it gives us several distinguishing marks. If you're taking notes, several distinguishing marks of a dangerous spiritual leader. We need to pay attention to these marks and uh, they'll help us not end up with shipwrecked faith ourselves. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to highlight those. And uh, the first one is this. A dangerous spiritual leader is, is distinguishable by his teachings. A dangerous spiritual leader is always, I mean, it's distinguishable by his teachings. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2, verse 2, uh, verse 1 again, of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, passage says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false prophets, teachers among you. They will cleverly teach, what's the text say? Destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. And even deny the master who bought them, the text is saying. And in this way, they'll bring sudden destruction on themselves. What, what kind of destructive heresies might God be thinking about when he prompted Peter to write these words? Well, they're the kind of destructive heresies that he's addressed in other places, in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and that are addressed in other places in Scripture. What we would find is that God's saying to all of us in this, watch out for folks who say things like, the Bible 
is an amazing historical book, but you know, it's, it's one of many. Watch out for people who talk like that, who think that way. Because what they're saying is, you know, the Quran, that's, that's a historical, spiritual book, and it's right on par here with the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita and other Vedas. Or maybe they think to themselves, you know, there's all these meaningful, mystical writings and all the ancient civilizations, and they're, they're, they're all just the same. They're all just the same. I don't have time this morning to really elaborate on the uniqueness of the Bible, but I've done that in plenty of messages. And let me just say, for the record, there is no other book in the world, spiritual or otherwise, like the Bible. It is in a league of its own. And if you know someone who's marginalizing it, belittling it, undermining it, putting others on par with it, Watch out. Watch out. You're in the presence of a dangerous leader. Whether they ever stand in a pulpit or not, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. Don't take the bait. Watch out for people who say, Jesus was a noble historical figure, but... And then they fill in the blank with anything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what they say after that. If there's a but in their conversation, watch out. Watch out. Maybe they'll say, you know, he, he really wasn't God. He, he was just a human like you and me. And Friends, if Jesus is not God, he doesn't have the spiritual authority to forgive you of sin. The evil one would like it that way. But that's not reality. The reality is Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. Who can forgive sinful you and me for all of our shortcomings and sins. Then there are those who might say, well, he was God, but, but, but he really wasn't human. I mean, he, he could walk on water, he could raise the dead, he could heal the sick. He could do these things because he's God. He, he's God. He's not like you. He's not like me. But here's the fact, friends. He's really human as well. He is fully human. If he's not human, guess what? He can't die as a substitute for your sins either. The evil one would like it to be that way, but it's not. Jesus is fully human. He is a son of Adam and Eve, so to speak, just like you and me because he's human. These may seem like really, to a few of us, maybe like arbitrary or, or odd points of distinction. These are heresies that are a big deal in Scripture that God cares deeply about. We've got to watch out for people who belittle the significance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because guess what? Jesus didn't purchase eternal life and forgiveness for us with perishable things like silver and gold. 
What did he buy them with? What did he buy our forgiveness with? His shed blood. It is death, burial, and resurrection. It's the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of his mission for why he came. There are other destructive heresies that we could walk through this morning and walk through on other occasions, but to keep it fairly simple, these are a few. These are a few. And believe it or not, they're pretty common to get these things kind of blurred up. And some of us who don't really know our Bibles that well, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, one of these is okay or the other one's okay, and, and kind of feel like, oh, it's, God doesn't care about that. This is huge. These are destructive heresies in God's eyes. One other quick point of observation that I want to make before we move on. If you look at verse 1, look carefully at what it says. How does a false teacher almost always introduce his or her heretical teaching? The passage gives us a clue here. Do you notice it? The New Living says this. He does it cleverly. Do you notice that? That's the word. Cleverly. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies, which implies a level of intentionality and strategy. There is a conscious or unconscious, a sort of subconscious marketing plan for their biblically aberrant view. You with me? You see what I'm saying? There's a level of cleverness here. The original Greek word here cannot be translated clever. It can also be translated another way. The other way is if it said, they will secretly teach destructive heresies. That's the other way. If you think about it, it's rather clever to do it secretly. Do you get it? Do you see the idea of what Scripture is trying to convey here? It's not done openly. It's not done in full public view. The text is just pointing out that on some level, false teachers, the, really, the, more, the most dangerous of them, know exactly what they're doing. And some of us who don't believe that evil is real, guess what? We are the biggest suckers for these guys. Because they know what they're doing and we're in denial. We're in denial. Scripture's trying to say, this is real. Pull your head out of the sand. This is real. There are people who are cleverly, secretly going to be among you intentionally trying to lead you astray. If what they were teaching was subjected to unvarnished public evaluation, guess what? Their views would be rejected by sound scriptural interpretation and reasoning. So the false teacher who consciously or subconsciously knows this usually begins to introduce his new teachings, his new views. He'll do this secretly, and after he's got a significant enough number, sort of a hits a tipping point of... Followers, he'll use his peer pressure now to his advantage. This has been the strategy of evil for time immemorial. If you see that playing out, God's saying, Watch out, run, 
run from secretive groups, secretive people, secretive leaders. Which brings me to Peter's next distinguishing mark of a dangerous spiritual leader. A false teacher is always eventually distinguishable by his slavery to sinful ways. If you're taking notes, it's distinguishable by his slavery to sinful ways. What do I mean? Just listen to it. 2 Peter 2, verse 3, Peter describes it this way. He says, in their greed, if you want to make a list of their secretive sinful ways, you can start writing. In their greed, they will make up clever lies. Translation, they're greedy liars. That's what he's saying. They do this to get, they tell these clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. Listen to verse 14. It says, they commit adultery with their eyes. Translated, they're filled with lust. And you are someone to be slept with. That's how they view. They're that warped. In their mind, their soul. And it goes on, it says, and their desire for sin is never satisfied, it's never quenched. They hunger for sin in this way. They lure unstable people into sin, the text says. They bait them, they entice them. The text goes on, it says, and they are well-trained in greed. Cycles back to it again. Why? Because this is like all over the place. It's just, it's so common. Think about that. It's not that they just are greedy, right? They're gifted at greed, trained at greed. Level of intentionality about greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road, followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. Look at verses 18 and 19. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. I mean, just, it's just, there's an arrogance, a pride about them. It goes on, it says, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. Is there any of that in our culture today? They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. It's like, it's like they're, they're not just going after the person who's never been trapped in it. They would love to go after. They're, they're looking for the, you know, the, the weak. You know, if, you, if you're a lion and you're chasing the wildebeests, you know, what do you do? You look for the marginalized. You look for the weak. You go for the one... The one who almost was taken down last time is still wounded. So you go for. It's what this person does. Verse 19, they promise freedom. They're not going to promise difficulty. They're going to be positive. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. That doesn't mean that nobody can free you of some of the things that chain you, but it does mean that just because they promise freedom doesn't mean that they have freedom. 
Because what you see is that the text says they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. And then the principle. It's a principle worth jotting down. You are a slave to whatever controls you. If money controls you, you're a slave to it. If sexual desire controls you, you're a slave to it. Fill in the blank. Work. Entertainment and fun. Some of us are slaves of entertainment in our day. If your cell phone controls you, or guess what? You're a slave to it. Just whatever. It's the principle. You are a slave to whatever controls you. According to these verses, dangerous spiritual leaders, just summarize a little bit, are motivated by pride mingled with greed or lust, and sometimes both, to exploit people financially or sexually. They use lies and deceit to accomplish their goal. And if they perceive you as weak, they're really coming after you. Jesus himself says this about these false teachers. And you kind of get the impression from what he says that he doesn't feel, let's say, favorable about this. Matthew 7, verses 15 and following, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. That's how you can tell them. What's the point? It's, It's always... Their slavery to sin is always distinguishable by their sinful ways, is what Jesus is saying. You tell by the way they act. And he goes on and illustrates, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire, Jesus says. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And in that context, Jesus goes on and says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I'll reply, I never knew you, never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. What's the point? His point is that he is not down with a lifestyle of sin, debauchery, evil. And this is hard for all of us to hear because we live in a culture where that's cool. And there's a peer pressure for that that's just enormous for all of us. But Jesus is saying, watch out, watch out. For leaders who would draw you or entice you or inspire you to that way of living because they're enslaved. They themselves are enslaved. And they're endeavoring to enslave you. False teacher, a dangerous spiritual leader, always eventually distinguishable 
by his slavery to sinful ways. But the Bible gives us one more distinguishing mark of a dangerous spiritual leader, at least one more that we'll deal with this morning. False teacher is also distinguishable by his followers. I want you to think about this with me. What's unique about the followers of a false teacher, a false leader? Because there, there are some indicators, and, and I don't fully develop this idea, but I encourage you to feel free to think about it some. People, people will be following this false teacher, a false teacher, a leader, for one of three reasons most of the time. Most of the time, these are the top three. They follow because they're deceived and believe the lies. I mean, they're sheep. Their sheep have no idea that this is a ferocious wolf leading them. They are just totally clueless. Naive, another word for that. Another reason some people follow this is because they're being financially or ex sexually exploited in some way, and they're so entangled, they realize what's going on, but they don't have a clue how to get out of this place that they're trapped in. They are absolute, they find themselves stuck. Think Jeffrey Epstein. Think secret societies. Think cults. Think all kinds of things that are present in our world. If we knew the number of people who are trapped like this, it would probably shock us. But that's a distinguishing mark. It's... This is characteristic of the followers, some of these people. Sometimes they won't change because they just don't have a clue how to do it. And then the third category of people who follow these dangerous teachers and leaders are folks that have themselves become slaves to the very greed or lust that enslaves the false teacher, the false leader, what I mean by that, I mean they've come to the point where they just flat out, they like sin. They love it. They find joy in doing evil. They themselves have become corrupted just like the leader. Peter says this in verse 2. This is another marker. Many will follow their evil teaching. Speaking of these false teachers and leaders, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Doesn't mean that every time there's a crowd that gathers that the teacher, the leader is corrupt, but... There are going to be crowds of people following. The peer pressure will sway folks. And based on this, because the way of sin shows up predictably, guess what? The, the way of truth is going to be slandered. Either because of the followers' lives or because of the leader's life. Say it another way. You can distinguish these groups of folks because many will take the bait. Many people will follow because they take the bait. But it's important we understand and remember it's artificial, it's fake, it's a fraud. But if you look at that 
lure right there. If a fish gets on that lure, is it possible to get off? Let me just say it this way. Many a time I've gone fishing, and I caught a fish on that, and I'm reeling it in, and I'm thinking, I have got a lunker. I've got a big one. And what happens? He throws the bait, right? It's like he wakes up and says, this is fake. This is a fraud. This is a counterfeit. And he wiggles and squirms and he fights against it. He does it. Only the weak ones just let you reel them right in. In fact, if you're a fisherman, what do you want? You want one that's got some fight, don't you? I mean, that's part of our warped tendency, really. But if you think of, if you think of it, that's what you're looking You want the lunker fish who's going to give you a fight. But I can tell you this. Uh, if he fights hard enough, and unless you hook him perfectly, I can tell you from experience, they can throw that bait. And I've had them do it so many times, it's pathetic. But here's the rest of the story. It's painful. It's painful throwing fake bait. If you're a fish, or if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've realized that you've taken the bait of someone who's really a wolf in sheep's clothing, it's painful. It's painful. But here's the deal. You throw the bait, what happens? You live for another day. You live for another day. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's like an eternal day. Eternal life is the inheritance. Now, before I close, I want to call your attention to the unpleasant subject of God's judgment that's awaiting false teachers and their followers. And if you understand the degree to which true evil is intentional and strategic about targeting you as a, as a follower of Jesus, if you, if you understood this, you'd, you would actually welcome the concept of judgment. But that's part of our culture's problem. We, we sort of lived for a long time with this naive fairy tale idea that evil is just some remote, distant thing, and it's not really at work behind the scenes in the world. It's not really attacking. It's, it's not as strategic about me as, as some people say it is, as those preachers years ago used to try to argue. Part of what I think our culture is waking up to at the moment, at least I hope we're waking up to, is that evil's real, and it's strategic and intentional on a level that you and I have not given it credit for. But because of that, God has set aside judgment, and it's specifically for false teachers and their followers. And according to the text, some of these verses we'll look at a little more in-depthly next week, but according to the text, just as God didn't spare the angels who sinned, and just as God didn't spare the ancient world, which gave itself over to sin, and just as God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, which was given over to all kinds of sin. God is not going to spare spiritual leaders and teachers who deceive and exploit others. Jesus himself made that point in Matthew 7, which we read a few moments ago. You remember that? 
There'll be many who said, I cast out demons in your name. I did this and I did that. And who are these people he's talking about? He's talking about spiritual leaders. What Jesus was saying, what 2 Peter 2 is saying, is that God's judgment is already on the way for spiritual leaders who intentionally want to draw people, lure them into sin. And the chapter closes with this thought about the followers of one of these false teachers. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 and following says, real graphically, it just says, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just pause right there. Is this a Christian he's talking about here? Answer me. Yes, some of us have got some, like, funny theology, and we kind of have this idea that, like, well, if I'm a Christian, I could never, ever do anything ever that would lead me away from God or separate me. And, and the truth is, that's a corruption of what Romans 8 is teaching. This passage is making it painfully clear that when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these people have given their lives to Jesus and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. It goes on and says, they are worse off than before. It would be been better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. It goes on and ends by saying, they prove, these who choose this path, they prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. I've got a dog. I've seen this. It is not a pretty sight. Here's a silver lining. The Bible tells all of us that if a believer discovers that he or she is being led and influenced by an evil teacher, by a false teacher, if he or she will reject the wolf in sheep's clothing, if they will throw the lure, they will run to the true Lamb of God, Jesus will provide a way of escape. Guess what he did for Noah? Guess what he did for Lot? Who was truly a righteous man. We sometimes think of him as corrupt, because he was in this stained and tainted culture, and certainly he was influenced by it like you and I are in our day. But the point of the text is that just as Jesus rescued Noah and Lot, he will rescue you, me, all of us, who will humbly, humbly flee evil and run to the good. Every one of us needs to watch out for false teachers and leaders, and we need to run to Jesus. And it's really important because Scripture teaches that everything that's secret done in the world is going to be shouted from the rooftops one day. I don't know about you, but I just kind of have this feeling in my gut right now that there's a whole lot of shouting about to start happening in our culture, in our day. I can't prove it. I'm not a prophet. You don't have to be a prophet to look at our culture and go, there's a lot of funny stuff going on behind the scenes. And as this stuff starts coming out, 
We need to have our heads screwed on right. We need to have it well with our souls now. So let's, uh, let's run to the Lamb. Run to the Lamb. More next week. Next week we're going to dive more deeply into a few specific verses in the passage. Don't miss it. I know, I know some of you go, I don't know if I want to come. Or I want to come. It's just you, already, it's just like you feel the, I mean, do you feel the gravity of the text? I mean, I have lived with this, you know, for weeks and weeks, knowing that we would come to this, these verses because I just know what's going on in our culture. I just see it and I just like, but um, what we're going to talk about next week has more contemporary relevance to than most of us will ever knew is in this passage. So I uh, hope that you'll join us next week online or on site, either way, hopefully on site. And I ask you if you stand with me as we prepare to close. Before we bow our heads to pray, let me just invite you, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Savior, the Lord of your life, I'm telling you, that's why he died on the cross. He died, rose from the dead, so he could be a substitute for your sins, your punishment, and grant you eternal life as a gift, a free gift. Not something you deserve. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You just have to humbly come to him and say, here I am, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. The world's a messed up place. I'm a messed up person. Thank you that you cared about me enough. Here I am. And if you'll look heavenward with that, with that spirit, I promise you, I promise you, he'll forgive you. And you need to demonstrate your, your humble submission to him in Christian baptism. Say, what is that? We have a baptistry right over there. You pull the lids off and there's water in there. We just lower you under the water and raise you up out of the water. And here's why you do that. Because you are identifying with Jesus' death when you go under the water. You're identifying with his resurrection when you come up out of the water. And this is not about cleansing the dirt from the flesh. It's about cleansing the soul, the spirit. And a humble cry heavenward to say, I cannot do this on my own. I need what Jesus did in my life. And you can come here and you can pray with me every week from now till Jesus comes and say, Lord Jesus, fill my life, fill my life. And you wonder, did it really happen? Did it really take? And sometimes it does, but you still are wondering. And the truth is, the picture of baptism, it's a moment in time. It's, a, it's the wedding day where you know it's real. And it's not, a, it's not just in your head because you died to self and rose. It's a day to remember. Some of you need to do that. Not next week or next month or next year. Some of you need to hang around today and watch. We've got individuals going to be baptized this after, right after church. Hang around and see us. If you've never seen one, do that. If you need to be baptized, maybe you can't do it right now, just come let us know and we'll, we'll arrange, help coordinate with your schedule to make this happen. But you need to run to the Lamb. Run to the Lamb. All right. If you need prayer for something else, come on down. There'll be some folks down here who'll be happy to pray with you, okay? Let's bow our heads. Glad you made it this morning. Look forward to seeing you next week, too. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, that you love us more than we comprehend. Thank you that it's not your will that anyone should perish, but that all of us would inherit eternal life 
by way of your sacrifice for our sins. O Lord, flood this place with your grace, your mercy today. May anyone who needs to come to you, anyone who needs to throw the lure, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them courage and faith and strength from your Spirit to run to you. No matter what happens, to run to you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your favor. Would you go with us now as we leave this place? May the things we've talked about echo in our hearts and minds and by the fullness of your presence in our lives. May it be well with our souls, not just in eternity, but today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. We need you every day. Thanks for hearing our prayers. We lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.